Hey everyone, uh, Jason Klein here. I'm the senior minister here at Refocus Christian Church, uh, located in Fallonsby, West Virginia. I just want to say uh, thank you so much for listening to our content. Uh, feel free to share or like or leave any comments you have. Uh, we're always looking to engage with people. Uh, what are some questions you have? What are some things that you might be learning? Uh, and at the same time, if you want to know more about us, check us out at refocuschurch.com, uh, which also has a link to our Facebook there. Uh, and so it just has uh, upcoming events, things that are going on, uh, sermon series that we're in. Uh, so once again, thanks for being a part of this. Thank you for listening in. And as always, please feel free to share and comment or like, because uh, we want to make sure that we're trying to reach as many people possible uh, with the good news of Jesus Christ. All right. Have a great day. Morning, everyone. How are you guys doing? Good. Good. There we go. You guys can talk. It's it's completely okay. I promise. I uh, had the privilege this week of uh, turning thirty-six, which doesn't seem old, but I feel old. I think it really hit me last night. Uh, someone reached out to me and asked me if I was interested in doing a week of camp at Elkhorn this summer. And I was like, yeah. I was like, let's, sure, let's let's talk about it. Well, it was like fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, and I'm like, <sighs> mid-20s, I was on it, man. I had energy, and I was crazy, and I was super excited, and now I'm probably going to be the guy trying to go to bed at 7.30 because just, you know, uh, not as young as I was. I definitely don't have the energy that I used to. Um, but what a what a week that it, that it's been. Uh, there's a few things that that happened this week, and and I don't I don't want to go too far into them. Um, but it kind of put you know, events happen in culture that kind of put life in the perspective sometimes. Uh, there was a, a great tragedy that happened, uh, another school shooting. And uh, now that I have kids who are school age, it's, it's kind of weighs a little heavier on me. Um, and then uh, coming across some social media stuff, another minister in another church had another moral failing. And these things seem and can often feel very overwhelming. And it, like I said, it kind of puts life in the perspective. Uh, and the reason I, I say that this morning is because I, I think that it's, it's really important for us to, you know, we talk about being the church. I think this is why it's so necessary for us to be the church, because the world is full of what I would consider chaos at times. There are things that happen that are outside of our control. And, and when life happens, it feels almost unbearable. And, and that, in my experience, is, is where 
Jesus is needed the most is when life is difficult and circumstances are overwhelming and when people fail us. That's where God comes in and, and kind of reminds us of, of the steadiness of who he is, that, that he really is the same and he's consistent and he's loving and he's joyful. And, and, and in moments when the world seems overwhelming, that's where God meets us, sometimes at the greatest. And then I, the, the minister, the failing, that, that worries me because it reminds me that I'm human. But it should also remind us of, listen, the reason why we come to church isn't because of people. It's not because we like the, the music or the minister. You're not coming here because of me. You're coming here to find God. It's perfect. My job is to point you to him. It's not about me. I'm, I'm as imperfect as they come. So don't ever put your hope and your faith and your trust in me. Put it in the one who has shown himself to be consistent. Let's pray. God, we, we come to you this morning with the overwhelming realization of how, once again, just how chaotic the world is. I pray for a sense of peace for those families, uh, for those of us that uh, affected one way or another. God, I pray for uh, the church, uh, the, the minister that had a failing, that, God, you continue to allow them to stay focused on you, that, that God, ultimately, at the end of the day, may we make you famous, that we point people to you, because you're the only one who's sustainable. You're the only one who's consistent. And as a church, I pray that we are focused on you and we teach others to focus on you, because it puts life into perspective that at the end of the day, all we really have is you, and that's enough. So God, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth, uh, those that are listening here, those that are online, those who hear, that you are just allowing your truth to take place, your scripture, your words, your, uh, your revelation, to hold them in the midst of a storm, no matter what it looks like. Protect them. Protect us. In the Son's name we pray. Amen. The last two weeks, to kind of recap, uh, we've talked about the responsibility of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be part of the church. Uh, week one, we talked about commission. Uh, we get our text from Matthew nine thirty-five through 8. So Jesus went through all of the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So Jesus is saying, as the church, part of your responsibility is evangelism. To go into the field, to go into the world, to go and to come along those, alongside those who are helpless, like lost sheep. Then we talked about, uh, the second week, we talked about community. The idea of community, and, and we pull from Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. It says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. 
Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Ephesians 4, 6. Paul is challenging the church that he's writing to to be connected, to be unified, to love each other, to bear one another's burdens, to, to not only show the world around you what it means to be Christ-like, but to quite literally be Christ to each other in everything that you do. Evangelism. Unity. Today we're going to talk about commandment. Uh, the title of this series uh, is called Our House, and the reason why it's called Our House is, is quite literally, this is our house. And sometimes in our house, we need to do a little housekeeping, okay? Uh, my wife and I are uh, really excited. We're getting ready to move. Uh, we're getting ready to move next Friday fully into the community. No more traveling back and forth on weekends. I'll be available during the week. I'm excited. I'm going to be here starting full-time, what is it, next Monday. But, but we're really excited, so we came in this weekend, and part of housekeeping for us is getting our house ready. We had to move some stuff around because when we move on Friday, I want to move stuff to the room that it belongs to. <laughs> I don't want to put it in my garage and move it later. I want to move it right where it needs to go. One time. <laughs> don't want to have to do it again. Right, and, and so we are in a place where we have been blessed with an opportunity to, to come in and clean our house and get it ready. And we had some wonderful people this past weekend who actually went up and cleaned our house for us, which was amazing. Thank you so much for that. I tried two weeks ago, and it turned out okay, but nothing compared. But, but there's, just, there's something about cleaning your house. Right? My favorite thing to do is to throw stuff away. Like I really enjoy throwing stuff away. Just an FYI, if there's anything here you might be attached to, you might want to grab it now. Because <laughs> I really, there's just something about getting your house in order, right? That, that kind of makes you breathe a new life. And, and so that's exactly what we've been talking about is, is our house. So we, we're getting ourselves in order. And I, and I said this a couple weeks ago, I really believe God has a very specific plan for the Follinsby Church of Christ in this community. I see us making a huge impact, but there's some things we've got to get focused first. And so one of those things is evangelism. We've got to get out in the community. We've got to get to know people. We've, we've got to be a part of, of everything and anything that we can. We have plenty of opportunities coming up this summer with stuff to do. We have to be unified. We have to have a, a unified front as we move forward. What is our purpose? What is our plan? What are we doing? Are we all on the same page? If we're not, let's talk about it. These are two really key things that I think churches need to be doing, especially in today's culture. Evangelism and unity. So today, we're going to focus on the two greatest commandments. Because I, I really believe that when Jesus is talking, especially these, about these commandments, it, it sums up everything that you and I are supposed to do as believers. So we're going to find ourselves in Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. 
It says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. By the way, their, their purpose was to get together and try to fool Jesus. You can't do it, by the way. It's, if you've ever read through, especially Matthew, some of the questions they ask are just really weird when the Pharisees ask. But, but they're trying to trip up Jesus. They're trying to, to, to make him maybe kind of doubt himself. But he never does. It's amazing. So the Pharisees that got together, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, mind you, at the time, for them, there were 632 of them. So they are literally asking Jesus, of the 632 commandments that we, as Pharisees, have established, which one's the best? Amongst themselves, they couldn't even agree on this. And Jesus says this. He replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So this is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I, I can only imagine at this point in time that they're looking for this really deep, profound, theological kind of diatribe, right? Jesus is just going to give this, like, huge monologue that's going to take him half an hour. I mean, have you ever, like, asked someone a question and then give you a really simple answer, and you're like, I wonder why I didn't think that. Like, that, that just makes sense. And, and so they ask him, which of all these laws, which is the best one? And Jesus says, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And it seems so simple. Yet it's something that we tend not to be great at. Uh, we're actually going to jump over to Luke chapter 10. Uh, there's a parable that Jesus tells that actually kind of addresses this question and I realize I talked about the Good Samaritan probably about a month, month and a half ago, but I still think it, it rings true. Uh, so the parable of the Good Samaritan. So one occasion, uh, so Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And, of course, uh, the, the Pharisee answers, and, and I often wonder uh, if this story happens after uh, this in, uh, encounter in Matthew. But the uh, expert in the law says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Here is where this gentleman couldn't just leave it alone, right? So Jesus says this, he agrees, he says, no, no, you're right, that, do that. And so this gentleman, this expert in the loss, in order to justify himself, he asked Jesus, well, who was my neighbor then? And I, I can just imagine, Jesus kind of puts his head down, shakes it, like, you, you just, you're batting 100 for 100, man. Like, why, why don't we just stop, leave the conversation there? He didn't. He says, who is my neighbor? So Jesus goes on to tell this parable. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and we saw the man. The guy's laying on the ground, he's beaten, he's broken, and the priest kind of sees him and does one of these numbers. Probably offers to pray for him. Might even say something similar to what we say, like our thoughts and our prayers are with you. And then he just continues to walk on by. A Levite, another, another man who was fairly religious, and sees the same man and, and notices that he's beaten and broken. And he decides to, a Levite ignores him. By the way, this is a fellow Jew, a, a brother, walks away. And then all of a sudden, this, this Samaritan, and, and the reason why the, the word, when Jesus talks about the Samaritan, it's so significant. For you and I, culturally, when we think of a good Samaritan, we think of someone who's like, the guy pulls over and helps you change your tire on the side of the road, right? Um, or the mom, uh, in, in our case, we've had plenty of moms who like have an extra diaper, in their bag, and they give it to you because you forgot your diaper bag. As a dad who forgets the diaper bag all the time, thank you women who are very well prepared. Uh, for us fathers who are not, it's a wonderful thing. It's embarrassing, but it happens. So what you think of a, a Samaritan is like this really good person who's helping out, but when Jesus says a Samaritan, immediately the crowd around him would have been like, why is there a Samaritan here? They, they, they were quite the polar opposites of each other. They, uh, you want to talk about uh, racism in that day, uh, Jew and a Samaritan, whereas they hated each other. They couldn't stand to be around each other. There, uh, there's this idea at the time that a lot of times, in order to avoid walking through Samaria, the Jews were willing to add two to three extra days to their journey to walk all the way around the city just so they didn't have to be around them. They hated him. So Jesus says a Samaritan walks up. The Samaritan sees this man, and he picks him up. He throws him on his donkey. He takes him to the inn. He gets him taken care of. And then before he leaves, he says to the innkeeper, whatever he needs, give it to him, and I'll pay for it when I get back. And then Jesus ends the parable by saying to the expert in the law, which one is this man's neighbor? And the expert, I can only imagine, is the Samaritan. <laughs> kind of mumbles it, right? Doesn't want to really admit to that. But when I, when I think about what it means to, to love people, the, the story of, of the Samaritan is, is the greatest representation of that. Because here you have people who, a man who quite literally hates someone. He has no obligation to help this man who's been beaten. He has no obligation to, to, to be a part of this man's life. Listen, no one would have batted an eyelash if he would have just walked away like the priest and the Levite did. If anything, it would have furthered the idea that Samaritans really just are bad people. But instead, this man comes in, and he, and he finds a way to help. Here's what I like about the Good Samaritan story. 
This gentleman, this Samaritan, uh, is not out actively looking for ways to help people. Probably going to work. Probably doing his day-to-day task. And in the middle of his life, there, there's an interruption. There's a man who shows up who's in need, and he decides, for whatever reason, to stop everything that he's doing and to meet the needs of this fellow man. When we talk about the church, when we talk about loving people, when we talk about uh, what it means to, to be unified, when we talk about evangelism, oftentimes those things happen in the most unexpected moments in our lives. That's what I love about God. It's, it's not bad to do outreach, right? I think we should plan and do things like that, and, and we should have nights where we get together and we can worship, and those are great. But a lot of times, your desire to love the people around you is going to happen very naturally. You're going to come across people that are broken at your job, at your work. You might be driving home from church today, and you see someone who's broken down the side of the road. That's an opportunity, man. It's an opportunity to love somebody. You, you might find yourself at a, at a restaurant today uh, with a, a mother of young children. Say she has two. Single mom, kids are out of control. Climbing up the wall, crying hysterically. You have an opportunity to love that mom. Maybe you pay for a meal. Maybe you offer to help with the kids. Maybe in that moment where you're eating your lunch and you realize how frustrated she is and you're thinking to yourself, ugh, how ridiculous is that? Maybe you stop for a moment and you realize that you've been there before. Maybe you don't need to say something to her about her kids. You don't think she knows? You don't think as parents we know when our kids are insane? Maybe your chance to love her is to pick up that crayon off the floor that her kid dropped and give it to him. Maybe make faces at him. Part of loving people is learning to see them the way Jesus sees them every single day. I, I love the fact that when we talk about the two greatest commandments, Jesus says to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he doesn't just say love your neighbor. He says love your neighbor as yourself. That's heavy. The reason why this, this expert in the law asked the question, who is my neighbor, is he was trying to quantify what it means to love people. And Jesus tells this story that completely turns it on its head, and they find these two people so heavily divided, culturally different. Yet the Samaritan sees a man in need, and he loves him anyways. Part of us loving ourselves, I think, 
comes from knowing and loving God. Right? We, you, can't, you can't love God and hate people. <laughs> it doesn't work. Never will. You can't love people and hate God. That doesn't work either. Because God is the greatest example of love and, and, and mercy and sacrifice. And, and so when we, when we love God, when we embrace who God is, we see him in, in, in light of who he really is king on the throne, father of all, creator of the universe. When we see him and we understand where he is in his rightful place, we understand where we are. When we love him, we love ourselves. And we love ourselves because we realize that in our imperfection, in our flaws, that the creator of the entire universe still chose to die for me. So you love God, you love yourself, and then you love people. I can love people when I see them the way God does. The, the, the imago Dei, the, the image of God, when I look at men and women in my life, I can love them even if I don't like them. Let me say that again. I can love them even if I don't like them even if I don't agree with them, even if politically we're on different sides of the fence, even if we have different ideas on the culture and the world around us, I can still love them because they are made in the image of God. And God loves them the same way that he loves me. Came across this quote this week, and I really loved it. It said, Good theology leads to loving action, and loving action and rooted in good theology. When, when we understand who Jesus is, when we understand the purpose of the church, when we understand who God is, when we understand how much he just absolutely loves the people of this world, not, not the world, right? There's, there's problems, there's chaos, there's sin. We get it. But he looks at all of humanity, from start to finish, and he still sent Jesus to the cross. He saw humanity at its worst and still gave up his life because he, see, he understands something that we don't because we didn't make ourselves. I love my kids. I love my kids more than I love your kids. Don't get me wrong. Your kids are great, but mine are perfect. Not a true statement. But there's something about my own kids that's, that's different to me. Right? You see chaos. I see chaos too. But what you don't see is I just saw my oldest help his younger brother put his shoes on before he went out to the restaurant because he wanted to help him out. That's what I saw. When, when my kids are, are you know, at, at restaurants and their church and they're jumping around and being noisy, that's what you see. What I see is, is when we go to my mom's and they sit there playfully and they play with my brother and they play with my mom and they bring such joy to their lives and they're so well behaved, <laughs> partly because she gives them popsicles. It's another thing for another time. But, but I see my kids 
different because they're my kids. I, I see the scope of their existence. You see a small piece of it. So when God looks at you and I, he sees the scope of our life. He sees the good that we can be. He sees the great things that we can do. And as the church, that's how we're supposed to see people. Jesus spent most of his time with some of the worst sinners of the world, prostitutes and tax collectors, because he saw something bigger. He saw them for who they could become, not who they were. That's what the church is supposed to do. We are supposed to see the brokenness in the world and see there's a chance for us to be better. We're supposed to see broken humanity and, and weep, but take joy in knowing that it's not the end, that there's still hope, that God is still in control. That at the end of the day, nothing will change that. Uh, that's something I, another thing I read earlier this week, is sometimes we often live as the church. We live as if God really isn't in control. So we feel the need to try to change the culture. Like the culture is going to ruin Christianity. Listen, I'm sorry. I don't want to burst your bubble. It's not going to happen. The culture can do whatever they want. At the end of the day, Jesus still reigns supreme. The church isn't going away. Christianity is not going to stop. It's been through so many different cultures. So many different areas have tried to just put a stop to it. And every single time, it's progressed forward. When the world comes to an end, we get to stand with Jesus in the victory lane because it's already been won. The battle's over. What he wants you to do now is to love people where they are so that they can join us. Stop trying to change people. Not your job. Jesus can do that. Jesus will do that. Jesus has done that. Jesus will continue to do that. Your job is to love him, to love God with every single part of your being, and to love people the same way you love yourself. That's what this world needs. And it starts here. It starts in the church. It starts in Fallonsby, West Virginia, and it just goes on and on and on. So, so here's my challenge to you this week. Not only to you, but to me as well. Find a way to love someone who you might consider unlovable. That idea, that terminology that someone's unlovable, it's not in God's dictionary. That's us. That's our flaw. Find, find someone who, who, who you can look at and, and you really question the life that they live and all of us, and just stop it. When you find that person, ask God to show you the way that he sees them. Because I guarantee you, today, this week, you will find someone unexpectedly that is going to need help, that is going to need Jesus in the truest form, 
Are you ready? As a church, are we ready to really walk out into the world and to be Christ with skin on? Literally, that's what we're calling ourselves. The culture is insane. The world is overwhelmed. It should hurt, right? We should look at the world and, and feel sorrow because we believe there's something better. But that also means we have to be the better. We have to be the ones who put God at the top, love him with everything that we have, and then look at his creation, every single human being, and choose to love them the exact same way that he does. By the way, for him, that meant sacrificing his life. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? What is God asking us to sacrifice? To love people the way that he does. Because it's, it's not always going to be easy. Sometimes it hurts. But that is how desperate God is to get people into his presence. He died, gave up his life, loved them exactly where they were. And as a church, we should be the ones leading the charge in that respect. We should love people exactly where they are. Love God, love people, evangelize, show unity. This is our house. This is the place that God has allowed us to come into his presence and worship. We are his church, but this is our church and his bigger church. How we show people God, how we love people is a reflection of us. It should be a reflection of him. But this is our house. Are we ready for what's coming? I feel like we're getting there. I feel like we have a lot of work to do, and I'm okay with that. That's part of it. That's faith. It's growing. But when the time comes and people find themselves here, will they find Jesus? Let's pray. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for checking out this week's podcast. Hey, if you want to learn more about our church, check us out at refocuschurch.com or look us up on Facebook at Refocus Christian Church. We're located in Fallonby, West Virginia. Uh, we'd love to have you and your family out. Come check out and see what God is doing in our people, in our community, in our church. All right. Later.